Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Geek Roulette. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Spriegel. And I'm the other host, John Lundquist. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us. We uh, are going to touch on today the new Spider-Man Far From Home movie. We'll have uh, our usual recommendations, follow up our arbitrary list where we tackle one of the nice rogues gallery of Spider-Man and who would be our ideal Sinister Six. We'll do a quick uh, spoiler-free review of the movie. It's going to be quick because... It's hard always to try to, you know, say, talk about a movie without talking about the movie. Yeah, without getting into heavy spoilers. But then we'll talk about the latest uh, chapter in Spider-Man and how how it does, I guess, in terms of, you know, is it a good movie? How does it work? And I have some curiosities and other things here that I'm going to be interested to see what your thoughts are on uh, some of the perceptions I have about Spider-Man and the MCU. But... Before we get there, let's get to our recommendations. First off, our recommendations. Uh, about a week or so ago came out the latest Black Keys album, Let's Rock. Let's Rock is an amazing album. It kind of goes back to more truer to form to what the Black Keys were like in the older days. It doesn't quite have that lo-fi sound that uh, they you know, had when they first came out with like Rubber Factory. But it's, a I think, a step better. I didn't wasn't as much a fan of their last album. Uh, Turn Blue, which came out about five years ago, and it's good to have an album like this where it's sometimes you don't have to get overly complex, you don't have to have all these deep layers, you just need to have a nice simple rock album, and it does it very well. So, hats off, go ahead and download, purchase, uh, do whatever you do to listen to the Black Keys. Let's rock. What about you? I will have to check that one out because I've been recently getting back into Black Keys, listening to them at work and whatnot, and it's some good stuff. So I haven't heard that one particularly, but uh, if it's as good as their, you know, more peak stuff, which you seem to say it is, yes, you should check it out. Uh, my recommendation is going to be more of a practical recommendation. It is an app you can get for your, I don't know, mobile device, tap pads, I'm sure, whatever, or tablets, I suppose is the word I'm looking for. Um, and that is an app called Just Watch. And what it is, is it's an app that, like, say you're sitting at home and you're like, you know, I haven't watched, you know, I don't know, Quantum Leap in quite a while. You can do Whoa, a... wait, wait, Why haven't you watched Quantum Leap in a while? Because it's an old show and, and I haven't watched it in a while. Maybe. You don't watch it on a weekly basis. I do not, know. I used to back in the day when it first came out. That was that was a regular in our, our household. 7 a.m. Quantum Leap. 8 a.m. MacGyver. <laughs> 10 a.m. Sanford and Son. There you go. And you got to get some Matlock in there as well. But, uh, yeah, say you want to watch, you know, any of those shows, actually. You can type them in the search feature in this Just Watch. It will tell you all the places that you can stream it, be it Netflix, Hulu, or any of those random smaller streaming apps. You know, it'll also tell you where you can buy it, like on iTunes, or if it's something that's rentable, if it's like a movie. Um, it's kind of handy. I find myself going to it quite a bit when there's something that, you know, piques my interest. And I'm not exactly sure where to find it. And sometimes I am excited because it's on something I already have, and sometimes I'm bummed out because it's on, like, I don't know, Showtime or Stars or something that nobody has. So, um, But it's a handy one to use. Uh, just Watch. It's a handy little utility app to use on your phone. It's funny you bring that up. On a side note, so one uh, <laughs> individual I follow from a comedic standpoint, his name is Sean Baby. He used to be a writer for Crack.com. He has his own website. He has contributed to many other humorous sites, and he's definitely... Uh, He's an odd duck, man, but he, he he's a video game enthusiast. He did a lot of work for EGM Magazine. That's where you know he got a lot of his original notoriety, but he still contributes to uh, Crack.com, which has just various comedy articles. And one of the ones I came across that he did from about three, four months ago is he was talking about the Revenge of the Nerds and how 
just heinous of a movie it is now in today's modern standards with a comedic touch. And one of the things he pointed out is like, and I agree, I don't, he said like back in like the late 80s and through most of the 90s and early 2000s, you couldn't turn on a cable station on any given week without seeing that at least Revenge of the Nerds was on once, at least in that period of time. And now it's impossible to find Revenge of the Nerds on anything because it's not available for any streaming, most TV shows. And part of it, I mean, and this is something, it's a running joke that's not really a running joke, and he addresses it perfectly. One thing I always feel is that most of the 80s movies, your heroes are the villains. And there's no shortage of just illegal things happening in the movie, and not just from the jock standing point of view where they murder people and force sodomy onto, you know, nerds. Um, or uh, animal cruelty, but also the fact just rape. There's a lot of rape in there too. And oh, John, you looked it up on Let's Watch. I, I, <clears throat> I did just look it up. It is you cannot buy it or rent it anywhere. You can stream it on Hulu apparently, but you cannot buy it or rent it anywhere. It is available on Hulu. Oh, well, tell you what, well, read this article. Uh, you can go find like a whole uh, collection of his articles on seanbaby.com. That's S-E-A-N-B-A-B-Y.com. And you'll see one on the upper right corner from his cracked articles about uh, Revenge of Nerds. Watch that and then watch the movie itself. And it's an entirely different light. But this isn't a podcast about Revenge of the Nerds. No, it's a podcast about Spider-Man today. It's so a different sp- kind of nerd. <laughs> a different type of nerd who never tricked women into <clears throat> sex. No, that would have made for a totally different movie. Right. Uh, with Spider-Man, one of the things that makes Spider-Man Spider-Man is that he has a very colorful array of villains that he has accumulated over the years. And there's always been various incarnations of this, but he has one group called the Sinister Six, where six of his villains, various time, villains at various times have gotten together to work against Spider-Man in a giant collective. So for our arbitrary list today... John and I are going about this a little bit differently. So we're going to talk about what our dream lineup would be for the Sinister Six. Now, John, he says he wants to do it for what the movie universe is. Yeah, I went a little different. So I think when I recommended this, I just kind of said our you know, our own Sinister Six, and I didn't really mention anything specific. So, yes, I went more with a movie-based Sinister Six, whereas Mike, I think, just went with an overall kind of general sprawling, probably more comic book-based Sinister Six. Originally, this list, I, you know, I proposed doing the top three uh, of our favorite Spider-Man villains, but I'm like, hey, why well, do three when we can do six? Yes. So, but that meant I had to eliminate one individual off my list for the Sinister Six. But Yeah, and we can but, touch on him after we're done, I suppose. You know who I'm going to talk about. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. you do. Let's All right. So let's start this out. What's one of your key members of the Sinister Six? I think, I, like I said, I went with movie-based. I think you, you almost have to bring back the Vulture if you're going to do Sinister Six. You know, he's still in jail. I think somehow he gets out. Um, he's not necessarily the leader, but I think he's maybe vying for leadership. Um, you know, I can see him kind of butting heads with maybe a couple of the other characters. I mean, that's one of the things that the Sinister Six is always kind of, they're always, since they're villains, everybody kind of wants to be the alpha male and, you know, be the one leading the group. So I think Vulture is definitely somebody there. He's obviously got a beef to pick with Peter Parker. Um you know, he knows his identity, so whether that's something he brings to the table or not, or if it's something he still kind of keeps to himself like he did at the end of uh, Homecoming or not, you know, you could play with that however you decide you want to. But I think Vulture definitely deserves a spot on there. Point. If we're going to talk leadership of the Sinister Six, then I'm going to immediately uh, throw out my name here of who I want. I would say, and he's already in, I guess, the Marvel 
cinematic television universe but he's not really i don't know it's hard to say where all of this stands now but yeah i would say kingpin would be my leader of the sinister six i think the thing i like about the kingpin is this is that he's an individual who can favors power he favors control he's willing to get his hands dirty with necessary i always feel like the nice dynamic with kingpin and spider-man at least in the comics is that kingpin doesn't understand spider-man's motives because spider-man what he does he doesn't do for money he doesn't do you know he spider-man is a plot working by a code of honor which sometimes confuses kingpin it's not that kingpin doesn't understand him it's just that they don't see eye to eye at times because of that and kingpin's more than willing to exploit or twist that moral of him but i feel kingpin yeah he's he's going to be the leader of my sinister six i like that it's a good pick it's kind of a slightly off the wall pick i don't think he's ever actually been a member of any sinister six that we've seen he doesn't need to um, but you know he's no. the, he's the financier i would say i would but, say that spider-man piss off kingpin enough kingpin would ally with others to, right but I, yeah i don't think it's a terrible stretch either to think that you know he wants he, he has some goal he wants to achieve and he's like okay in order to do this i need to amass these other people to kind of help me with this I, I, I could see that happening so i think that's a good pick um I think my next one is somebody who has not yet been introduced into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and he would be somebody who would definitely be butting heads with Vulture for leadership of this group, and that is Dr. Octopus. Um, I think in the MCU he'd be kind of tricky to pull off just because they did such a good job of him with him in the uh, in the Raimi movies and Spider-Man 2, um, but I think he's such an iconic Spider-Man villain that he's somebody you almost, you know, if they keep doing Spider-Man, you almost have to bring him in at some point. I mean, next to Green Goblin, he's kind of the the next in line for, for, for your main Spider-Man villains. I think, you know, he's kind of a mainstay in the Sinister Six as well. So Doc Ock is my next pick. I had him in my list as well, and he would be my number two. With Doc Ock, I think the key to him is this. Like, And I agree. I think it's hard to top Alfred Molina's portrayal of Doc Ock in Spider-Man 2, of uh, the Raimi Spider-Mans. I feel that... That Spider-Man's really one of the only one out of the three that really holds up well, and I feel it does it justice as a very solid Spider-Man story, and, you know, kudos to all that. I feel Doc Ock, the best way to always explain him is that he's the he's the villainous opposite of Spider-Man, where Spider-Man was this nerdy, awkward, outcast kind of guy that got his powers accidentally. Well, Doc Ock is the exact same mold, except he's more villainous, vindictive, and He's all for him. It's about proving that he's the smartest. He's proving he's the best. Where Peter, it basically you take away the whole with great power comes great responsibility thing. That's why Doc Ock is the way he is because he doesn't ever adhere to that. So yes, Doc Ock definitely has to be a member. Yes, uh, my next pick is somebody who we have not seen in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He just had a storyline that he's, I think it just wrapped up in the comic books, actually. Um, and that is Craven the Hunter. Um, I think he would be kind of your tactician of the group, you know, the the one who's kind of, you know, looking at the weaknesses and exposing them and whatnot. Um, he would maybe be vying for leadership, but I don't think so. I think he's more, you know, he's not necessarily a follower, but I don't think he's necessarily looking to to be the one running things either, but I think he's, you know, he, he was one of my top three Spider-Man villains, but I think he's kind of a, a nice opposite for Spider-Man that, you know, to kind of just, you know, he doesn't really have these world dominating plans or he doesn't want to, you know, he's not looking for riches. He just, he's basically a hunter and he sees Spider-Man as the ultimate prey. And I think, you know, in the next movie, if they don't do like a actual Sinister Six, I think, you know, Craven is somebody that you could do as kind of a foil for Spider-Man that would be, an interesting one to see and kind of a different villain than we've seen in, you know, Spider-Man movies that we have seen previously. So Craven is my next pick. I don't like Craven. 
What? What's wrong with you? The problem I have with Craven is this. I feel it Don't is... Don't tell me it's the lion jacket, because no. that's badass. Oh, his original storyline, Craven's last, you know, hunt. Craven and his original appearances are great. I feel after they killed him off, Craven in the comics became a problem, because then it's like, we want to bring back Craven, so then let's yeah. start retconning the hell out of things. I, and... I will say that is the one problem, is that he had, like, his... His ultimate story was back in the mid-80s, and ever since then. They didn't use him for a long time because of that, and they brought him back a few times since then. And But, it, you know, I, I don't feel like anything's going to live up to that story. But I think, like, in the in the comics, I don't necessarily see him coming back and being very good. But I think in the movies, you can still do something pretty good with him. All right, so no craving for me. Uh, I'm all about... Uh, with my Sinister Six, a much more cerebral Sinister Six. I don't want a Sinister Six that's all about slugging away at Spider-Man because that gives Spider-Man something to punch. So my number three, and he has been already in the movie universe, is this. I will say Mysterio. Mysterio, the master of deception, using his abilities to always make you know people, every hero, second-guess what they're doing or is what actually happening is what's actually happening. So I, I feel you need to have... The best way to beat Spider-Man is always keep him off balance. You can't give him a straightforward objective. So you need somebody else in the field right there that's going to screw with his head. Mysterio's it. So that's one of my number three. Mysterio's definitely a good call. He almost made my list. My next three are kind of your 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 grunt labor for um, your grunt work. Your 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 uh, what do you call it? your henchmen almost? Well, no, not quite. Now the first of those I went with is Shocker, who has been in the movies. You know he's a you know a, what do you call it? Kind of a henchman for Vulture, really. In the first movie, um, we get a couple of them in there. You know the one guy that and he by first movie you're talking about Homecoming. Yes, yes, Homecoming. Sorry, um, you know, but I kind of feel like he's gonna you know Vulture. If Vulture gets involved in this thing in the cinematic universe, that you know he's definitely going to look up shocker or somebody to come along with them that can use this technology and uh yeah and he's just gonna be kind of your guy who's just gonna go in and soften up spider-man so that everybody else can go in and do their thing and finish him off yeah nah no shocker in my group because remember it's all about the mind john yes so my uh number uh four i have once again you got to keep spider-man off balance and you got to screw with him in his life the best way to do it is to make Spider-Man not be able to trust those around him. I'm going to pick the Chameleon. Chameleon who has the ability to alter his face to look like anybody else. That is a very, uh, very tricky and you know, dangerous individual right there where he can become any of Spider-Man's close friends, confidence. He can basically throw a monkey wrench into it. So, yeah, that's right. Kingpin, Doc Ock, uh, Mysterio, and Chameleon. A very cerebral base, Sinister Six. Interesting pick. I've always been a fan of Chameleon. Not as much lately, um, just because nobody really ever does anything with him. I feel like there's probably a really great Chameleon story out there, like you said, where he just kind of mind fucks with Spider-Man and does something. I don't know specifics of it, but I feel like there's a great Chameleon story out there that just hasn't been told yet. Um, Maybe we'll get it at some point. Maybe we won't. Um, for my next one, another kind of henchman slash lackey guy is good old Electro, which um, you can only really improve on the Jamie Foxx version um, because... We yeah, don't we don't speak of that yeah, version. Uh, That's a horrible yes. version. Electro is number five on my list as well. And yeah, I, I feel he's one of those very specific quintessential Spider-Man villains where he's a very obvious Spider-Man villain. Gives you a bit of range. He's never going to be the mastermind. He's never going to be the guy that his ambition he's just hey i hate spider-man i like money yep exactly um that pretty much sums him up i mean yeah electro he's he's your grunt work yeah and last guy i have on mine did you have all six i have one more left uh, all right yeah my um 
I would say, yeah, there was uh, my six uh, individual I have on my list. Four smart guys, right. I had Electro in there because you need to have somebody that's, you know, kind of your grunt and your muscle in the process. Another individual I wanted to put in there that's also a quintessential Spider-Man villain. Again, also slash sometimes hero is the Sandman. I feel Sandman, definitely a very versatile individual in terms of powers and abilities. Uh, you know, him and Electro, he they were my grunt picks, pretty much. I got my smart guys, hey, and then when the traps trigger, those are the two that really go ahead and help. Somebody's got to do the heavy lifting. Exactly. So, that was my six. My last pick is uh, another, another kind of grunt guy, and he is somebody who has appeared in the movie, although he didn't really do a whole lot and that is scorpion i feel like if you when you bring him back you know you have tinker kind of be like maybe a background henchman for the sinister six you know tinker maybe builds him a you know an actual proper scorpion outfit kind of like we see in the in the comics only you know more mcu inspired um and he obviously has a big mat on for spider-man as you know in the end of the the post-cred scene and homecoming he's you know he's badgering vulture to figure you know who is he you know who he is and so he's clearly pissed off at Spider-Man. He's just going to you know, do everything he can, whatever it takes, to try and take him out. And I feel he would be, in the MCU version, a pretty darn good member. And even in the comics, he's usually a pretty good member as well. So my list, I had to take a person out of the list because of he'd be my top three Spider-Man villains because I don't think he would ever associate with the Sinister Six. I also want to state one very obvious omission on my part. And John's part. The one person I refuse to include into my top three list of favorite Spider-Man villains or the Sinister Six is the Green Goblin. Mostly just because I feel he's become one of the most overplayed villains in Spider-Man's hierarchy. Keep in mind, the Green Goblin, like in the comics, died really earlier on in Spider-Man's run back in the 70s, I want to say. Right, you know, 30, 40 years ago. And... He suffers the same problem that Craven has. Is he's such a good villain? Let's bring him back. And they have done so much ridiculous retcon work with Norman Osborn to the point where at one point there was a story that he cooked up with Gwen Stacy and fathered oh, okay. twins. Speaking of them, we'll never speak of again. <laughs> yeah, there, there's horrible stories out there with Norman Osborn. Brian Michael Bendis did a good job in some ways of positioning him as being this more intellectual unstable madman that weaseled his way up through the government and got himself into prominence and everything. But no, I, I I would say this. I mean, they've already had their shots in the movies with green goblin. The first green goblin movie was of course, uh, uh, Willem Dafoe, who I think had a great ability to portray him. It's just that (laughs) the story wasn't really up for it. The second one was Chris Cooper, and I would have loved to see Chris Cooper actually play the Green Goblin, but then then they killed him off in The Amazing Spider-Man 2, which seemed like a waste in some ways. And then, you know, we have I'm sure that they'll bring him in because you need to have some sort of main villain type, and I, I'm sure he'll show up in MCU. One of the guys I admitted off my Sinister Six list, but I feel is the best Spider-Man villain ever, J.J.J., Jonah Jameson. J. Jonah Jameson. What's the first J stand for? Uh, jackass. He is a jackass and a spectacular one at that. The reason I always loved him as a villain, and I want if he, we had a top three Spider-Man villain list, and this actually sparked a conversation between my wife and I about, is he a villain or not? And we agreed he's a nemesis. He's an adversary. The villain, it's a very tight line, but I mean, he's a guy that has caused Spider-Man so much pain and damage, and a lot of it is that 
he's the one guy Spider-Man can't punch. He, Spider-Man can beat most of his villains by punching or webbing him up. You can't do that to, you know, JJJ. On top of that... It's going to make it worse. <laughs> right. And on top of that, all the PR damage that Jonah's done to Spider-Man is just outstanding. I mean, he, he's the reason why the public doesn't trust Spider-Man is because... The media has basically said, Spider-Man's bad, and he's like, no, I'm not, but you know what? Jonah just keeps hammering away, pushing on it. Says it, it in the paper. It must be true. Exactly. He's he's like basically a skinnier, mustached version of Rush Limbaugh. Yeah. Or Alex Jones. Foreshadowing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Jonah's great. I mean, he does cross the line a few times into actual supervillain when he hires some guy to make these spider slayer things that have his face like plastered all over it. So he can go out and try and kill Spider-Man. But by and large, that his greatness is really when he's yeah just antagonizing the hell out of him, making Spider-Man's life hell. And despite the fact that his Spider-Man actually is on his staff and he has no idea about it, although that changed recently. But yes, J. Jonah Jameson, good stuff. All right, so all that being said, let's go into what I would consider a five-minute spoiler-free review of Spider-Man Far From Home. My uh, initial thoughts in the movie is this. I feel it's a good above-average action movie itself. I feel that you know there's a l- enough light-hearted moments in there to help you know convey what needs to be done. Uh, the introduction of uh, Jake Gyllenhaal as Mysterio brings a great dynamic to the movie itself. Essentially, the plot of the movie is Spider-Man. You know, he was one that disappeared during the Great Snapping, or whatever you want to call it. The blip. It's yeah, the blip, the snapping. But him, along with a lot of his other key cast uh, class members, they also disappeared. And now that they're back, they're just trying to finish out school. Other characters of note that also vanished was like Happy Hogan, uh, as well as Spider-Man's aunt. Both of them disappear. It's essentially a movie where Spider-Man now, and this is a spoiler for Endgame, which at this point... I, I'm I'll, I'm not going to hold back, but I mean, it's how do you deal with a post Iron Man world, especially when Iron Man kind of tabs Spider Man, I guess, as being the spiritual replacement of Iron Man in the sense that here's a smart young individual that can help carry yeah, on the legacy. It's very much an epilogue for Endgame. I think for me, it's kind of a middling Marvel movie. It's definitely not like in my top five, but it's no. it's, it's good. I don't know that it's better than Homecoming. You know, I need to give it another view to determine that um, and i think that's why i qualify it as it's an above average you know action movie itself compared to the rest of the marvel movies and i'll touch more on this in the spoiler you know version of the review itself but i, I think we have to reevaluate some things going forward i think with a lot of the movies that marvel's putting out but i you know overall the movie itself good it focuses on a budding relationship with um, mary jane yeah, and I think all the stuff like with his classmates is pretty good. Like Ned and I forget that what's that his girlfriend's name? I forget her name. Oh, the blonde God. gal. Yeah, um, their stuff is kind of cool. Um, the Peter and MJ stuff is all pretty great. You know, it's got a nice mix of like a teen comedy slash romance with an action movie in Marvel universe. Um, and that's all that all works pretty well. And like you said, the Mysterio stuff is all pretty great. I think Jake Gyllenhaal's the movie MVP. I think his charisma and his ability to hit so many different ranges of acting is really yeah. what holds the movie yeah. together. He does, yeah, he does a great job as Mysterio. I mean, when you consider like what Keaton did in Homecoming, I think Keaton had that same sort of thing. You have a veteran actor who has a great amount of range of emotion, and without 
him to play off of I don't know if Spider-Man would have worked, Homecoming would have worked as well as it did. Yeah. I think the same thing here. If you take Jake Gyllenhaal out of the equation, I don't know if this movie would have worked the way it did. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think both, when you look at them, Vulture and Mysterio, they're not really top-tier Spider-Man villains. I mean, I think when everybody found out that Vulture was going to be the villain of the first Spider-Man movie, they were like, really? I mean, because he's always been kind of a second tier almost third tier villain but i think you know like michael keaton's performance and you know like you said jake gyllenhaal's performance as mysterio i think really elevated them to another level that you know the comics never really got them to but i think they did a great job with what they were given and the storylines and just the work that they put into it i'll say this if you're more of a casual person that watches mc movies but doesn't want to watch all of them just wants to watch important ones I would say this one isn't an important one. I don't say this one really ties in a lot into the future of the Marvel Universe. No, I think if you're, like I said, it works nicely as an epilogue to uh, to Endgame. I mean, if you're super bummed out about what happened to Tony Stark, this is maybe one you want to catch. But I don't. Yeah, I definitely don't think it's not super important. It's not like Infinity War or you know, like Black Panther type important. All right, so let's use this to end where our spoiler-free review goes at this point. Uh, let's move into the spoiler review at this point. Now, give me a second. You still with us? Good? All right. So I, I think it was very obvious, and I one thing that I've seen on the Internet that does a good job of pointing the light of this in a very humorous way is this, is that when Marvel has, when the regular MCU does trailers, the MCU keeps things as guarded as possible where everybody's speculating the living hell out of oh what's going to happen right now what's going to happen and this i think the one joke that i saw is that sony on the other hand they'll tell you everything in their like you know trailers they spoil that hey mj knows that spider-man you know was peter and it spoils it's kind of spoils that there's a multiverse which is the only swerve on there but it does pretty much imply that yeah mysterio is going to be probably a bad guy so going into the movie itself you're kind of just waiting for whatever the turn is on mysterio well, i think part. that's that's kind of the interesting thing though i think for people like you and me who know who mysterio is we're, we're just waiting for that swerve but i think if you're somebody who's a casual just an mcu fan doesn't really know the comics like oh this mysterio guy who's he I think you might actually, you know, it's something that you might actually kind of fall in for. Like, be like, oh, he's this hero. And then, you know, like, I'd be curious to talk to somebody who doesn't know who Mysterio is, who just went into this kind of cold. Well, and, and what their thoughts on it were. In today's internet world, too, hey, who's Mysterio? You're just a Wikipedia page away from realizing, oh, he's a bad guy. And maybe they have it where he's not going to be a mad bad guy in the MCU. But you're kind of awaiting the turn. The problem is, I think the what makes at least the Mysterio turn good is you're sitting there trying to figure out what's the why in here. And the yeah. why, you know, the original premise is this, is that there's all these elemental beings that are popping up around the world causing great carnage. Samuel L. Jackson tries to recruit Spider-Man to help another individual who says he's from a different multiverse and different dimension, which his name is Mysterio, and he's a soldier, and that there's different Earths. And a lot of people speculated, well, this is how they're going to introduce like the X-Men, the Fantastic Four, this multiverse is going to help bring and open up new possibilities. Complete swerve. He's just disgruntled former Stark employee that got mad that Tony Stark was using his technology for different reasons, and he bands together other disgruntled former Tony Stark employees to kind of create a hoax almost. And I guess my my only big thing is this, is that I understand being a disgruntled employee, hating Tony and trying to get access or you know to his power. So 
was Mysterio's plan, I guess, to try to get hold of the Edith glasses? Was his yeah, plan, was, what was, What was his end game? I guess? I, I was a little unclear, too, because it was like, how did he know? I mean, because they kind of started doing this whole thing, and they're like, you know, we wanted to get the world's attention that, you know, that we can be an Avengers-level type of hero and save the world. But, like, how did he know that, you know, the Edith glasses were a thing? And once he got them, like, what, okay, now are you going to take over the world? Or what's, you know, it was kind right. of... Right, if, if his abilities are all fabricated and he becomes an Avenger, at some point he's going to be exposed because... Yeah, they're the, going to find out you can't do anything, really. Right, and you kind of see, like, you know, that... I mean, I think that's the one thing that's great about at least Jake Gyllenhaal is you have this noble kind of, you know, individual in the beginning of the movie when he's maintaining the illusion of being, you know, from this other dimension. But then when you see the real Gyllenhaal and you know, a real Mysterio and see how Quentin Beck is just this really unstable individual, and it, it kind of makes you understand, well, maybe he's not looking in the full, you know, future, you know, full forward future of the thing itself. But it's one of those plots that it exists, but I feel that the plot kind of move along, moves along in the way that... Things yeah. happen in order for the plot to move along. And I feel on that kind of note about the whole Tony Stark thing, I almost feel like I kind of hope this is the last time we see, like, a villain that's, you know, pissed off at Tony Stark because, I mean, it seems like we've, I mean, all three of the Iron Man movies were basically, you know, I mean, the first one we had Stain, who was just a disgruntled Stark guy. Second one we had Whiplash, who was pissed off at him because, you know, his dad did something. And the third one it was, you know... That guy who uh, I forget, I can't even think of his uh, name. Killian, talking, yeah, Killian. Killian, who was mad because Stark kind of gave him the the cold shoulder or something like that. Now we get this again here, and it's just you know, it's like okay, we get it. Stark was kind of a jerk, and he pissed off a lot of people, but you know, we don't need to keep going back to that. Well, I I think the core plot itself works well enough for what it is. I I think you know, in terms of things that work, good chemistry between uh, Tom Holland and Zendaya, both of those two work out. I think perfectly fine. I think that. Hall does an amazing job as Quentin Beck, and I think in no way or form is he the weakness or opportunity of the movie itself. I feel that the movie works well enough for what it is. I would say, and that's the thing, is like I was trying to be objective, trying to think, you know what, what trying to exclude what my expectations were of the movie itself. And I think that's the hardest thing here. I think by trying to have this be the end, or even... You know, Kevin Feige saying, hey, this is going to be the movie that ends basically the last phase before we move on to the new movies. It puts a lot of pressure on this movie then. Like, this movie then really has to work hard to set up all these things for the future. But it really doesn't. And I think think if there was missed opportunities in this movie, the missed opportunities would be this. One, I feel that they didn't do enough to address the fact that, hey, Peter and his classmates, you know, his aunt... All these people have been gone for five years. And, hey, we're just going to finish school now. Let's go on a trip. And it just feels like it's something that's addressed at the beginning of the movie when Spider-Man's doing the fundraiser. But you don't really see like any sort of frustration or grief on Peter's part that his life was put on pause for like five years. Yeah, they don't really get into it a whole lot. They kind of do it at the beginning. They do a quick little school news type thing where you kind of see a little bit of it, and their right. people just showed back up where they were, and like basketball players ran into the band members that disappeared when the blip happened. And uh, but yeah, they don't really get into any of the logistics of the whole thing. I don't know if they're just trying to glaze over that because I think the logistics of you know people being missing for five years and then coming back, I think that you know. Probably doesn't make for an entertaining movie, for one thing, but I don't know how you would get that in, you know, and then have an actual Spider-Man movie. Um, yeah, I mean, that. I think that was one thing that was a missed opportunity. I think that 
And in kind of going on saying, there's a lot of things that happen in the movie that happen, I think, where it feels like the plot's moving along to help make the rest of the movie work itself. As I said, you it's it's hard when you have a bad guy where like what's their end game plan and like the the best parallel I can use on this is that I can compare um, uh, Quentin Beck to like back in uh, Civil War. Uh, Cap- Captain America Civil War, like whatever Baron Zemo's plan was. It was a plan that, what was your end game in the plan itself? You yeah. got control of the Winter Soldier, you framed him, you got these super soldiers free, but what was the whole point? Because the revenge was what happened to Sokovia, and it required a lot of luck and happenstance for everything to fall into place for yeah. what happened there. But uh, going back to other things I you know, I thought worked, as I said, I think the Zendaya Peter Parker scenes perfect. I think that's you know a great you know weird nice quirky relationship right there. If there's one thing that I say that works, and up until the end I did not like the one thing I thought throughout the whole movie, and I felt vindicated in the post credit scene is, man. Nick Fury just does not seem right. Like, Samuel L. Jackson's not <laughs> nailing this right now. And I'm, like, watching this. Like, none of this really feels Nick Fury-ish in some way. Just some of the things that he was saying yeah. or he's doing. And that was the thing. And something that's frustrating through, through the movie is that, you know, yes, he's this gruff individual. But he's just putting all this weird undue pressure onto Peter. And it looked like just he even he was seemed, like, kind of lost. So... And huge spoiler, at the end credit, we find out that Nick Fury and Maria Hill were actually Talos and his wife from the end, yeah. you know, from Captain Marvel, and that Nick Fury was taking a vacation. Which, which raises other questions, like how long is this something that's just been since, you know, Infinity War? Has Nick Fury been up in space this whole time since, you know, the 90s when the Skrulls first showed up? Well, he disappeared with the snap, so, I mean, obviously, right. so well, was- Nick Fury comes back with a snap. But was that was that Skrull Nick Fury that disappeared or actual Nick Fury? I would say it was actual Nick Fury. I mean that's that's kind of what I would assume. But there's you know at no point do we really see and, right. and maybe it's just because that's you know he's competent Nick Fury then in this one like you said he. I agree to it. I, I I wouldn't see Nick Fury taking several years vacation off. That's not really what Nick yeah. Fury's profile is. Yeah, it was it was interesting choice, and it, you know, like some people think, oh, it's just going to lead up to Sword being, you know, which is another division of Shield, only basically in space. You know, is that what he's doing up there? It's you know, it made for an interesting thing, and I don't know if that's maybe what's going to lead into the next phase of Marvel, which we'll get to later. Um, I just like that there was a payoff where. As a viewer of all these Marvel movies and a huge comic fan, when you see like like a character that's acting like out of sort, yeah. originally like throughout the movie, I was just getting frustrated with Nick Fury. It's like it just feels like he's just doing this to advance the plot. It's better when you realize then, oh no, that's not even Nick Fury. That was a scroll yeah. that basically is trying to do what he thinks Nick Fury would do. And then like, all right, it makes me feel a lot better about the rest of yeah, that. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting play. Uh, I'll tell you one of the, my favorite things that works. And once again, we're going to go post uh, credit sequence here. So I'll say it works and it doesn't work. What works is this, is that Spider-Man, he's, you know, bringing Mary Jane swinging for the first time. And then they stop in front of a TV where they see that part of, uh, I guess you would say Quentin Beck's end game, regardless if he succeeded or uh, if he failed was, he was going to expose Peter, and he released doctored footage showing that Spider-Man's the villain, and that the person that breaks you this news is J.K. Simmons as Jonah Jameson, J. Jonah yeah, Jameson. That, that was pretty amazing. 
I'm sorry, but there's only one person, in my opinion, that can ever play uh, J. Jonah Jameson, and that is J.K. Simmons. Yeah, I think he, it's it, it's like I, I think I told you. I think you know that you probably could have found somebody who could have done a, you know a good job, but I think you know ultimately everybody would have been like, yeah, so and so did a great job, but it would have been great to have gotten J.K. Simmons back for it. And the fact that they did bring him back as kind of this Alex Jones's type, Jones type, just fear mongering, you know, journalist type guy. You know, it's almost perfect for the, you know, works perfect for the character of J. Jonah Jameson, works, you know, perfectly for the time frame of today and whatnot. And, uh, yeah, it was it was just great to see him there, and hopefully he comes back for the next movie. Right, he nails the performance perfectly. My downside on this, exposing Peter Parker as Spider-Man. It seems way too soon and to be able to do something yeah. like that. I understand the way the Marvel Universe works and how society works. Like, in reality, if there was actual superheroes, trying to maintain your secret identity would be an extremely difficult endeavor. Yeah. There's so many cameras everywhere. There's so many ways to capture footage of people nowadays. Well, especially as fast and loose as he seems to play it with it, with his identity. Like right. Just, hey, yeah, that's who I am. And, you know, a fair amount of people know who he is. But Quentin Beck exposes that Spider-Man is Peter Parker. And, once again, I, I don't know if you, you pull this card way too soon. I mean... I understand that, hey, it's his form of revenge that, hey, if my life is over, well, your life is going to be effectively over because everybody's going to know who you are and you're not going to yeah. live a life. And obviously, you know, they can, in their world, you know, you can kind of spin that different ways and, you know, there's things you can do, but I mean, it's it, it'll make for an interesting bit of the next movie. I hope it doesn't become like the entire plot of the next movie. I hope it's just kind of something that they have to deal with while whatever else is going on is going on and then maybe... That plus whatever the main plot is both get resolved by the end of that movie. Well, and and this is one other thing to consider as well is that Tom Holland is only contractually obligated for one more Spider-Man movie at this point. When they Sony yeah. made the deal with them, they said we'll let you do th- six total movie appearances. He's done three movie appearances already with uh, Civil War, uh, Infinity War, and Infinity Endgame. And then he's already had two of his own movies. So Holland only has one more movie left unless they decide to, you know, extend the contract with Sony to use the character. And so we'll see how this goes because it, it'll be honestly interesting. I think they kind of left him away that, hey, now all of Spider-Man's villains can come out of after Spider-Man. So... Maybe Spider-Man dies, and because if yeah. right now Marvel MCU doesn't like what Sony right now is trying to financially bring to the table, or in terms of creative control and everything else, that that's a real possibility. And with Marvel, it's no sweat off their back. Yeah, they would love to have Spider-Man back, but the problem is, is this: is that you have now access to the Fantastic Four, to the X-Men, to Doctor Doom, to all these other characters now that it is possible they could write Spider-Man off, which is the only word. They could, and I could see, the other thing I could see them potentially doing is with the success of Into the Spider-Verse, I could almost see them introducing Miles Morales somehow. But they still have to, they still have to work the rights through with Sony. Yeah, they would, Um, you know, but there's, there's, there's ways around that, I think, but I mean, that's one thing I could feasibly see them doing is you know peter parker leaves the stage somehow but you know hey look we've got miles morales now and we can use him for however many more films you know i'm, I'm sure they've already got something worked out because you know as far ahead as they're planning you know and i kind of they've done so well so far with most things that i've kind of wondered about um that i kind of you know i'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt that they'll pull it off somehow yep uh other things that work before i go back to uh, a lot of things i feel that didn't work um 
I would say Martin Starr is the teacher. Martin Starr is always great in the first place, especially if you've watched Silicon Valley or anything yes. else Martin Starr in his butt. I think he did a good job effectively as, you know, as the teacher itself. Um, I look at the usage of environment and everything and trying to actually make what Mysterio's science, what his powers and his enemies, you know, the usage of the drones I felt was good. Um, I'd, I'd say overall, it, it was a good overall action movie. I don't, but and this is where I'll now segue into the things I'm not sure works. I think part of the problem is, is how much of a benefit or a detriment is it being part of the MCU at this point? Because right now, this movie now is being always compared to every other Marvel movie. Imagine being, it's almost like, hey, Led Zeppelin just went on stage and performed, and now you got to go perform after Led Zeppelin yeah. at this point. I think that'll be... That'll be the thing going forward. I think this movie kind of got hampered with being the follow-up to Endgame and kind of wrapping up a few things there. I think going forward, whatever the next movie might be, um, which I know they're filming a Black Widow one right now. I'm not sure what their plans with like Black Panther. I, I, I imagine that uh, San Diego, we're going to get some huge announcement. With no, I don't think so. Stuff. I wouldn't say San Diego because Disney has their own convention that's coming up within a month yeah, too. That's true. I feel that Disney will probably tell it at their own convention. They may yeah. tip maybe a little morsel here yeah. or there at Comic Con, yeah. but they they've started moving away from Comic Con as being their primary platform for. Sport. Yeah, I think either way, in the next month or two, I think we're going to get a pretty big info dump on here's the next you know four Marvel movies to come out, and I think those I think will have a little bit more free reign to kind of be their own thing. You know, like Black. Panther 2. Doctor um, Strange 2. You know, yeah, I think they're going to be able to kind of do their own thing and kind of, you know, maybe start back kind of like how the Marvel Universe originally started and kind of just slowly build towards whatever the next big, you know, huge event is. But I think for a little bit it'll be kind of like smaller, more, you know, like... I would say it's probably about we're still at least maybe a year and a half, two years away from starting to see really new elements introduced into the Marvel. I don't think Marvel's going to sit there and rush out the X-Men or Fantastic for anybody else until... No. They, they still have a world of things that they can use. The one thing that's very interesting is how Marvel's progressing with the Eternals movie right now. And I'll be very curious to see how the Eternals movie yeah. plays into everything else. Plus, you have Guardians. I mean, think about the sequels right now. It's Black Panther 2. You have Doctor Strange 2. Guardians of the Galaxy 3. You have the Black Widow prequel i don't know because yeah. there's there's a lot of ways i could go about that and then captain marvel captain marvel obviously will probably get another movie on the slate i would say that as i said the eternals is probably going to be the first new venture that we'll get into yeah i think that's gonna be the next one kind of like when they did guardians of the galaxy it was like oh is this going to be marvel's first big flop and we'll see how that pans out i think that's obviously gonna be a more Cosmic-based things. And I think that's the thing going forward with Marvel, too, is you're, you've almost got these two separate Marvel settings. You've got the more, you know, terrestrial-set stuff like Doctor Strange and Spider-Man and stuff like that, Black Panther. But then you've also got the more cosmic-set ones like Captain Marvel, Guardians of the Galaxy, Eternals will probably be a more cosmically-set thing. And, you know, so you can almost do two different things than, you know, kind of like with, you know, and you can either have them meet back up like they did with, you know, Infinity War and Endgame where they all kind of come together to do one big thing, or you can almost have the cosmic stuff doing their own thing and well, the more terrestrial stuff doing their own. Cosmic stuff, you know, now you have access to a lot of these characters. You have Anahalis. You can have, like, the Annihilation yeah. storyline, you, you can, know, Yeah, you can space. have Galactus show up, you got, Surfer. Right, because you got the Scrolls now in play. You have Guardians in play. Yeah, the, so the, the, there's a lot of ways to go. I think that's one of my bigger disappointments in the movie is this, is that it's you keep using the word epilogue for, let's say, Endgame. And I agree, it feels like that. 
it sets up absolutely nothing for the future. Outside of the whole Spider-Man reveal that, hey, he's Peter Parker, there is no hint or nothing whatsoever the point that this is the future of where Marvel's going. And I feel this is what everybody was kind of really wanting to know and see with everything going on. And I felt it was almost so hyped and applied at this point to not get any sort of inkling. Kind of felt... Just short. I short think it, o- it almost makes it kind of like in the comics how you you know there'll be times when they say hey this is a great jumping on point like I think movies after this I think are going to be a great jumping on point but unfortunately that also kind of means that this would be a good jumping off point if you want to do like you could just be like okay I've seen you know twenty three twenty four of these Marvel movies you know it's all kind of wrapped up now and you could just kind of go forward not watching another one if that was your thing and you know and you'd be perfectly fine you've almost got one complete story from Iron Man. All the way up to, you know, far from home here. Um, I'd say other things that fall into what I think didn't work. As great of chemistry as Zendaya and Tom Holland had, I don't feel there was any buildup whatsoever to their relationship. It just happened, I feel, in some ways. and She was kind of this awkward character in the first movie that you didn't even necessarily know was MJ until I think the very end. Right. And then this one, it kind of starts out with, you know, with Peter's being like, hey... MJ's kind of hot, right? You know. Well, yeah, I'm gonna do all these things, and I'm gonna tell her that I care for her and give her these things. There, there. Once again, you were they were all gone for five years, so there was nothing built up in between that time of disappearance. So it feels weird that all of a sudden, like, hey, we really like each other to the to that speed or degree where it just doesn't feel earned. I think in some ways, like you said, as much as it worked, it did kind of come out of left field, right? You know, so I, I feel that's one problem. And I feel that also echoes another issue I have with Peter Parker is the undue weird pressure that, hey, you're the spiritual successor to Tony Stark. Hey, here's yeah. Tony Stark's, like, you know, Edith Glasses, which can do all these things. And, hey, you know what? Tony's the one that looked up to you as being the, you know, future. It's a weird do undue amount of pressure to put on a guy like Peter Parker, yeah, who's, who's what, just 15, 16, I think. Well, no, I mean, he's going into it was a senior trip. I suppose, yeah, 17, probably 17 or 18. Right, but, that's I'd say 17, either way. 17 or 18. But once again, it was just one of those weird things that just didn't feel, I don't know, earned. I mean, yes, there was more established that Peter and Tony had a relationship between the two in yeah. terms of, I guess, that mentor. I, I do think that is something, though, even like in, in Endgame, where you know, he, you know, and Infinity War, they kind of they play it off as they're a lot closer than you think, even though they've really only had the, you know, Spider-Man Homecoming episode, it, you know, movie to kind of get to know each other. They play it off as they've got this huge built-up relationship. It's like, you know, they really haven't done a whole lot together. So I, I've always kind of felt that the Tony Spider-Man thing or Peter thing was kind of, you know, their relationship was a little bit forced. Um, well, here's, I guess, a big thing here that is a big unanswered question. I don't know how... The movie doesn't really address her because, so, Tony's dead. That's fine. Who's in charge of his company now? Is it Pepper? Is it Happy? Who's the person yeah. that's running that? Now, Spider-Man's getting access to all this stuff right now, like all these tech suits and everything else. So, is Stark Enterprises, like, through Pepper and Happy, I'm assuming, the financiers of Spider-Man at this point, where they're basically bankrolling his endeavors, did Spider-Man inherit an aspect of the company where he has control of the company itself? Or is it just this weird, like, you know, 
crossroads thing where Happy's like, hey, I'm going to do these things for you because, you know, Tony wanted you to succeed. Like, if, like now, Spider-Man has access to these glasses where he can now launch drone strikes from space. Yeah. I, I think that's where it just got weirdly ambiguous is that, all right, is right now Peter being groomed to be the person that takes over Stark Enterprises altogether? I mean, that's, that's clearly, I think, what they're, what they're hinting at, especially like that scene when they're inside that, you know, the Quinjet or whatever it's supposed to be, and he's kind of crafting his own suit, and it's very, very Iron Man-like where he's telling it what it wants to do. Um, you know, I think I think that's kind of what they're hinting at is that he's the next quote-unquote Iron Man or whatever you want to call it, but I kind of agree where it's kind of just a weird, like, I don't know how, you know, that's never really been Spider-Man's thing. You know, he's always been, you know, like they say a few times, a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. He's never really had global aspirations or anything he's always been kind of happy to just be hanging out in new york doing his thing helping out there and you know if something bigger pops along sure he'll help out but that's not really been his mission statement you know he's always been more about helping the guy on the ground like you know i kind of almost hope the next one you know, like this one was very little was set in new york the whole thing was you know kind of across europe you know and it'll be kind of nice you know on the first one even there was a lot of stuff that was not really set in new york as well and i think it'd be nice if this next spider-man movie they can kind of keep it more localized because i think new york is almost as much of a character for spider-man as anybody else is right uh another thing is is there consequence now that peter's been outed so my my other thing is this is we'll assume that the real uh nick fury comes back and nick fury i mean he can quash this he can basically go and say hey all the stuff you saw that was all doctor footage that wasn't actually spider-man doing that yeah i mean you, you can oppose this now, and as well as if Peter's now been brought out in the open, he can also oppose it as well, too, and say, hey, this isn't what really happened at this and point. Yeah, and maybe that's how they deal with it is in the next one. They just kind of come out, I mean, because that is obviously such a big thing today is that, you know, this could have been just doctored up, and they could just say, you know, hey, this was doctored, and maybe that goes over for the you know vast majority of people, but it kind of puts enough doubt in people, some people's mind that, no, I think I think this was real, you know, like 90% of the people believe it. Like, okay, yeah, that probably was a bunch of crap because I've seen Spider-Man, but there's enough doubt in some other people's mind that it kind of gives J. Jonah Jameson some credence, you know, to, that people actually listen to him, and not everybody's like, yay, Spider-Man. Some people are like, I don't know about that guy anymore. And right. You know, so that way it's not as big a part of the it, next movie. It, it can go it either can way, and you know, and that was one thing I always thought that was going to happen at some point in the movie where uh, Mysterio Quentin Beck was going to kill everybody else because they knew who Spider Man was. There, were, there was a few moments like, you know what, is he going to now kill everybody that he's gotten their purpose and use out of him? And the one guy, I'm sorry, I can't remember his character. He was the guy that was from Iron Man One that was the failed scientist, and Ralphie everything. from Christmas Story. I can't yes. think of his character's name either, but yep, I can't think of that. But you know. Once again, is he going to play bigger at the end itself? So I, I, I don't know. You kind of threw Spider-Man out there in terms of here, here's his identity. It'll be interesting to see where it goes from there. But I think those were some of my bigger just issues of the movie, as well as why'd you have to kill Mysterio? I think that that was such an amazing, great character, and I feel that's one of Marvel's biggest dumb moves is when we make a great villain and yeah, we're going to kill him off. Like, they did it with Killmonger, where, hey, here's a great, well-established villain. Ah, not anymore. He's gone. Yeah, and I feel that's kind of a problem with comic movies in general, is like, you know, what do you do with the villain at the end of it? Oh, we'll just kill him, and then we don't have to worry about it. You know, I mean, you know, Superman, Man of Steel, and... I mean, they already went as far as not to kill Vulture, you know, at the end of Homecoming. So, hey, why, why kill Quentin Beck as well, and... Yeah, I mean, I think this one makes a little bit more sense, and I don't think Marvel lays, you know, leans as quite as heavily on the trope for as many movies as they've had. 
Um, although when I think about maybe they do, you know, Doctor Strange, he dies. Um, right. Well, let's, but, yeah, let's go through each villain here because let's movie by movie by movie. First Iron Man, Obadiah Stane, he's dead. Whiplash in uh, Iron Man 2, yeah. he's dead. No, did he die? I think he was captured again, wasn't he? Did he? I thought he died, but I could be wrong. It's been a long time maybe, since I've seen that one. Maybe he did. I can't remember either. Question mark. Uh, uh, Killian died at the end of Iron Man 3. Yep. Uh, Red Skull, we thought died, but instead he became a yeah, guardian of... Of an Infinity Stone? Kind of, yeah. He's kind of like halfway, we'll say. Right. Uh, you have uh, Alexander Pierce dying at uh, Winter Soldier. You have yeah. Zemo. Uh, he dies, doesn't yep, he? Yep, Zemo. No, because Black Panther spared him. He was going to kill him, but he didn't. Oh, that's right, yeah. So there's one character, I guess, that's still alive that hasn't died yet. Thor uh, movies. Thor movies, the bad guys are well, inconsequential, Loki. I guess. Yeah, it's kind of Loki in the first one slash the Destroyer. Right. Which is, yeah. And the second is Malachi. And and he, and, uh, I don't remember what happens to him because he didn't really do anything. Yeah, I didn't really care about that movie. Uh, we have uh, the Grandmaster didn't die in Ragnarok. No. But Hela... Died? She, I don't know. I don't think she died. I, yeah, I think she's probably still out. If they if they wanted to use her, she could definitely. There 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 is ways that you can probably loop that out there. What do we got? Uh, Ronan's dead. He died yeah. in Guardians of the Galaxy. You have uh, from Ant Man one. Uh, Yellow Jacket. Who's, yep. Yeah. Um, I think he died. Yeah, well, he died. He he died. And the second one, it was. Uh, second one that was the hick guy who the arms dealer guy. Well, that that was uh, Sonny. Yeah. Sonny did not die, and you don't also have anybody dead from a Ghost or uh, yeah, Goliath as well. Yeah, she's still out there. Um, Avengers, let's see, Loki's still around, but technically the Chitauri all, well, not all of them, but a fair amount of them all died. Well, that gets, they all, they're all snapped out of existence anyhow, right? Oh, yeah, that's true by the end of, yeah, for the most part. Yeah, the, they're the snapped. The, the ones that were here, at least. Right, so they're snapped out, so that, that's that's a huge thing. Yeah, Ultron's, Ultron's dead. dead. Yep. Uh, you go into Infinity War, pretty much most yeah, of your Thanos, protagonists. Thanos is gone. Yeah, there's a lot of dead Mars. I suppose they do kill off a fair amount of them. You know, and part of it, too, is that I understand that, hey, we want to... Maybe we're not going to be able to get this actor back, so it's easier just to you know kill off the character. There's nothing wrong with leaving doors open and saying, "Hey, guess what? This person's captured and incarcerated because, you know, that would give you other opportunities, yeah. like the raft as an example. He has a prison for supervillains. Yeah, if you throw him, yeah, I mean, it'd be pretty easy to imprison Mysterio. It's not like he has any actual superpowers, you know. So once you get all his technology away from him, he's just a guy, which I think is something to even point out in the in the movie itself, right? Um, anything else uh, I'm thinking of right now? I didn't really like Flash Thompson. No, I'm not a big fan of his. I mean, he's... He's just obnoxious and this weird... (laughs) I hate this term now, but he's a weird Spider-Man stan. Yeah, he's just... Yeah, he's... Yeah, I don't know. He he doesn't do a whole lot for me. He's kind of more obnoxious than I think he... And not... He's kind of designed that way, but he's not obnoxious in the way that I think they want him to be, for me at least. He's just kind of this super... Yeah, I don't know. Doesn't work for me. New romantic rival. Oh yeah, what's his name? Uh, the guy that got a. Uh, yeah. The guy, the guy that didn't get snapped, that actually aged the five years, and everybody thought was hot. Yeah. I can't think. Of Brad was it? Yeah. Let's say Brad. Yeah. Brad. If we're wrong, just yell at us. We yeah, don't care. Exactly. Um, I thought I thought he was he was he was good enough for comedic purposes. I felt. But uh, yeah. Did Did you hear the theory that people think Dimitri is chameleon? 
Uh, no. Do, do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, I know who you're talking about the bus driver. Yeah, he just kind of yeah. disappears, and they're like, yeah, maybe that's Camille. I'm like, I, but I then again, know. was that whole team there? Was that all scrolls? It could have been, but it could have also just been like the remnants of Shield. You know, the people that were like loyal to Nick Fury and. See, now that you, you know. say chameleon, think about it. What if, let's say, there was a geneticist that got a hold of scroll DNA and found out how to use that to alter his face? That, yeah, that would be a way you could pull off chameleon in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Right. So, one of the last questions I have is, where does Marvel go from here? And I think we've kind of... It, it's hard. I think, as I said, I don't think I still feel that we're about a year and a half to two years away before we see the introduction of anything that's any of new Marvel's new properties. I think the first new property of Marvel we're going to see is probably going to be the Eternals at this point. Yeah, I think, I think we'll, it, the, what they'll do, I think is they will be a little bit smaller focus. I think they'll seed some things into them that might not be readily apparent until we get into the next, you know, kind of like how the Tesseract was this bigger MacGuffin than we thought it was going to be when we, when it first showed up, you know, and Loki's scepter, I think, you know, we'll see some stuff like that maybe where they seed some things that we don't, see payoff until a few movies later then we look back like oh that's what that was yeah i think the hard part is that since there's so little setup at this point i mean if i'm thinking about what movies i have in production at this point i mean dr strange you could have strange go up against baron mordo now that yeah mordo you know he's still there they kind of played that up in the i don't know who you have uh, black panther fight now because you killed claw you killed killmonger i mean he doesn't have that deep the only the only person that makes sense that you could have him fight against because they're enemies in the comic is Namor. Yeah, which he, he could definitely come along, and I think, which also brings up something I've been wondering about kind of for a while. Do you think we ever get to a point where the cinematic universe creates big villains or heroes that are not in the comic books? <sighs> nah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I would I would say this it. It's not like any of the creators of these characters are really getting massive royalties from the movies in no. the first place. So I would say it doesn't work to Marvel's advantage to say, well, we're going to make a character that's a, you know originally our character. I feel that there's still plenty of characters they can tap into. I, I think your X factors that you have is this, is that there's still a year and a half, I think, away from being able to reuse uh kingpin daredevil any of the defenders so you can't you can't introduce those characters right there i think one of the big things is this is really it's going to be what happens later this fall when disney launches their new streaming service with their new streaming service and when they start debuting like i think it's very weird that you have almost more some of these shows that you feel should be movies like falcon and winter soldier i feel should be probably a movie not an actual ongoing show yeah i'd go see it I, I'd see it either way, but Scarlet Witch and Vision, ha, Vision gets boned over and everything. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of Vision, which we've touched on before. You know, then you have Loki, which probably addresses the whole paradox of what happened with Loki and Infinity uh, Endgame because of the time travel shenanigans. Yeah, since and, he's zapped out. Right. So, it, it's weird. I think, really, we're going to get probably a lot of answers within the next month or so. I think the problem is, is that it's... I think they've they've basically got a clean slate right now, and it's pretty much up to them what to do. They're, you know, there's nothing really that's been put out there that they're going to be beholden to. At least not a whole lot. It, it's a clean slate. The problem is, is that Marvel has lost now two of their biggest icons with Evans and uh, Robert Downey Jr. So they don't have Captain America, and well, at least 
Iron Man and Captain America by those characters. You know, obviously you have Sam Wilson who, you know, can be now Captain America. But that's why I feel having him be on Disney's streaming channel does a great disservice to Captain America by saying, oh, he's not a movie-worthy captain. He's only a television series-worthy captain. The other thing I thought was very weird about the movie, too, is the fact that... And it was even funny because the, the movie addresses it, not you know, references it a few times. Because Quentin Beck says, "See, look, we're the only ones here to deal with this. There's no Avengers responding." So once again, were there Avengers? Are the Avengers still a thing at this point? Even like you know, it's addressed in the post-credit scene when Talos like, "I don't know how to get in touch with the Avengers." Yeah. Which all right, so if the Avengers were there. Wouldn't something of this magnitude have at least still drawn them to? Yeah, you would think somebody would have popped over to London when that big you know elemental guy showed up and you know like doctor be it doctor strange or well, especially when you see you know, such prominent heroes on the scene such as mysterio and the night monkey yeah exactly <laughs> night monkey was probably one of my favorites uh that was pretty good stuff humorous moments where they create a new identity and he's like i'm the night monkey and then the news runs with it the night monkey yeah well it was just ned kind of ad-libbing like that guy looks like spider-man he's like no that's just a spider-man wannabe i I read it on the web like really what's his name it it it, night monkey (laughs) and yeah that was a nice little bit yeah good old ned good old ned right there so too bad he's never gonna turn into hobgoblin well yeah probably not he could he could you could turn into blob goblin that's mean he's yeah he's a little bigger I, I'm not skinny either. Let's be very clear here. So I can't sit there and make fun of him. And yes, but uh, yeah. Overall, I think it's a good movie. Not one of Marvel's best, but definitely worth going seeing, especially if you're keeping up with the Marvel movies. And as I said, I think that's the hard part going forward. Is like, how do you keep trying to match with what Marvel has done at this point? I mean, 23 films in at this point. The biggest problem you have is you have so many films that have done so well and. That's that's now the problem is I think every film coming out from this point on is going to be compared to it, and uh, that's where I feel that Marvel's. You, you always hear on the new like you know uh, websites, is there the possibility of like comic book burnout or superhero burnout where people just start getting tired of superheroes? If it's going to happen, it's probably going to happen within next year because Doctor Strange isn't as big as great as. Benedict Cumberbatch is, he's not that big of a draw where I feel he can carry... He's been better as an auxiliary character in other movies than he was a star in his own movie. Yeah, I think think we've... In my opinion, I think we've definitely seen the peak. I don't think it's ever going to get bigger any bigger than Endgame. Right. You know, I think it's definitely downward from here. You know, whether that means it peters out as a genre as a total, I don't think so, but I don't think we ever get to this height again. Black Panther hit amazing strides and heights for what the movie did and achieved. But going back to my point, what does he fight now? I mean, yeah. where who, who becomes his villain? And as I said, if you're going to have Black Panther... The only way, and if you want to introduce a newly acquired character, that you're going to be able to make a big impact is bringing in Namor. And that's the best way to introduce mutants into probably the universe itself, since Namor himself is a mutant. The Guardians of the Galaxy, they're going to hold up regardless, because let's be clear right now, they're, they have already you know shown that they have the staying power. And adding Thor to that movie, Jesus, that's... Yeah. I think going forward, I think our big... You know, like you said, who's going to be the next Captain America and Iron Man? I think going forward, I could see Black Panther definitely being one. Captain Marvel, they've kind of poised to be one. I don't know that she, you know, we'll see, I think, in her next movie if that actually works or not. Um, I think Guardians is kind of another one that is, you know, just going to be, like you said, with Thor plus, you know, uh, 
Chris Pratt was Peter Quill and Star-Lord. I think that, you know, when that comes out, especially now that they've got uh, James, James Gunn, Gunn back. back on board for that, I think that next one's going to be pretty huge, too. So, I, you know, it's definitely not over for them, but I think it, it'll be interesting to see where they go from here and what the big breakout things are. And if there's one thing I want to disclaim, I think, you know, talking about this movie is that I know, you know, looking back to what I've probably said over the past, you know, hour we've been doing this podcast, there's been a lot of negative things I've brought up. And in, as I said, I just want to reiterate, it is an above average movie. The movie itself is not bad. I think that and this is why my point about being part of the MCU is it becoming a detriment because yeah. of what where the bar has been set at this point. It's very now difficult, I think, for... You know, each th- to your point right there, what's going to be the first big Marvel flop? And, it, you know, they, they've they just been able to maintain this amazing plateau for so long of, hey, here's... I mean, look at the past four or five movies that Marvel had at this point. Because here we have Endgame. You have before Endgame was Captain Marvel, before Captain Marvel was Black Panther. Ant-Man. Uh, or, you know, Ant-Man and Wasp, then it was Infinity War, yeah. then Black Panther. Yep. And even if you were to consider Ant-Man and Wasp being the weakest of that, I feel that Ant-Man and Wasp was a much better movie than probably it had any credit to be at this point. No, absolutely. Ant-Man was definitely another one that I go, oh, this will be Marvel's first big flop. And then, you know, certainly didn't reach the heights of like an Iron Man, but it was still a very good movie. I think that's, and that's the thing is any Marvel movie is better than most of the things out there. Like Spider-Man Far From Home is, you know, aside from Endgame, if you want to count that as a summer movie since it came out so early, like... I think Far From Home is definitely going to be one of the best movies you'll see this summer if you go see it. But I think when you compare it to other Marvel movies, is the only place where it really starts to kind of pale a little bit. Right. And on top of that, I mean, you compare what they're doing compared to the competition. DC, once again, in the middle of another weird reboot. I mean, they're still dealing with having three to four Jokers at this point with all these different yeah. Joker projects and movies coming out. Now, like, hey, we're going to have these sequels, but guess what? They're not part of a shared universe anymore with Wonder Woman and Aquaman. And, you know, hey, we're going to have now Robert Patterson as Batman. And Yeah, and I think that's the problem is where Marvel definitely back in the day and, you know, to now, had, had definitely had a singular vision and a plan to where they are going. DC was kind of just like, let's throw a bunch of stuff on the wall and see what sticks. And some of it was cool. And, okay, well, this didn't work. Let's reboot it. And we want to do this one. It doesn't really fit with everything else, but we're going to do it anyway. And it's just, I think that's maybe their biggest failing there. Is just... I hate to do this. I don't want to throw one person under the bus for what the problem is with DC, especially the reason why he had to drop out of the Justice League was because of a family, death in a family tragedy. But if I had to say any reason why DC is in a bad state of movies as it is, it's Scott Snyder. Scott Snyder's dark, gritty version yeah. of what he felt DC should be really worked heavily against them, especially with what he did early on with, uh, you know, the Man of Steel and with Superman and turning Superman into this just grudge-filled individual. It wasn't the spirit of what it was. And having all of this, and I think the one advantage that Marvel had going into this is that they smartly handpicked a lot of the right people to make their movies. And I remember how many people were getting upset, like, oh no, Edgar Wright's leaving Am and Marvel must not know how to make movies. No, Marvel has a style of movies and it's not for everyone, you know. They decided, hey, we don't have him, we're gonna have Adam McKay. And Adam McKay did a fine job. They smartly tapped the Russo brothers and the Russo brothers, these are guys that went from doing episodes of community to right now helping pioneer some of the biggest movies ever made. Joss Whedon obviously, you know, was involved at certain parts, and 
he had to bow out because you know after a while he was like realizing that hey this isn't really for me and that's that's an admirable thing to do. It's not like he his moving on to Justice League made it a better movie taking yeah. over. Yeah, and, and I think that's part of like is the thing is that the Marvel universe hasn't relied any too heavily on any one of those creators. You know, Takiti Wahidi putting him yeah. in like Thor. That's a stroke of genius I mean, right there. You have, I mean, it's I think, yeah. I think is you have these different visions, but that. Those visions aren't what's driving the Marvel Universe as a whole. You can pull out if Tiki Waititi decided not to do another Marvel movie, I think they'd be just fine. You know, like you can right. take these character creators out, and I think it's it's the behind-the-scenes people like Kevin Feige and whatnot that, you know, kind of have this vision and kind of keep everything as one big cohesive unit, regardless of who the directors and producers are and all the rest of the movies. Well, I don't I don't want to discount the directors and producers either. I mean, because, no, absolutely not. Let's keep in mind here, you know, James Gunn, what he did with Guardians of the Galaxy was downright miraculous and phenomenal in so many different ways. And, you know, that's, that's just it. It's, you look at all these directors, you know, you look at all the movies that have succeeded, like Black Panther, like Guardians of the Galaxy, and just how they basically let the director say, Here's our play, here's our sandbox. These are the rules you need to follow. As long as you follow these rules, you can do mostly what you do there. And I feel that maybe worked against some people like Edgar Wright that has a different perspective on how he wanted to do things. But these guys have all played with in there, they've created characters. I will say the one criticism against Marvel is now everybody is this weird, comedically quippy character now, which, yeah, I, I can see that, but it doesn't make the movies bad it doesn't detriment to these movies that hey we have all of these characters at this point so i think that's one thing i just want to address is because while i did have a lot of think critical things to say against the movie itself you also still have to realize this is still also a sony movie too this is not a it's playing in the marvel universe and sony made some choices and decisions along with marvel that Maybe I don't agree with itself, but nonetheless, doesn't make it a bad movie. It just doesn't make it probably as good as what Marvel has put out so far. Yeah, definitely a solid movie, and you should check it out when you get the chance. Right. So that should probably wrap up everything. Uh, I think what we're probably going to plan for our next episode is that we're going to discuss the recent and sudden ending of the Walking Dead comic. Yes. Uh, ended just suddenly at issue 193 with uh, no warning. Uh, basically, it was just an early, you know, quickly uh, Robert Kirkman saying, hey, we're going to end Walking Dead. So I think we're going to recap um, the comic in the series as well as its impact it's had on everything. I've read every comic up to the end itself. I have, I have not. I tapped out a little bit ago. But like I said, I, now that it's got an actual ending, I might have to go back in the near future and finish it up. Yeah, I, if you want, I have access to all the issues, and you can. Well, I, I've been I was doing trade paperbacks for a while, so I might just go back and I, it wasn't that long ago that I stopped buying them. So right, and then we'll talk the TV series as well as I guess does the end of the comic mean the end of the TV series? It, it'll be a Walking Dead spectacular. It will be. So we'll touch base on that on our next episode. I'd like to thank you for listening. Uh, feel free to follow us on Facebook at. Uh, uh, geek roulette as well as on twitter uh any feedbacks appreciate it subscribe to us whatever platform you use give us three and a half stars four stars if you want to give us a five we're cool with that too we are cool with that all right so until next time this is your host mike spragle and this is john lundquist have a good one everybody thank you very much